So we've been hitting the reset button with this series. Hitting the reset button. Everybody just reach out, hit the reset button with me. One, two, three, reset. Okay, one, two, three, say reset. One, two, three, reset. All right, that was, that was weak. I'm going to trust that the snow is just making you guys tired. But we have to hit the reset button, and I'm really excited about uh, the final Sunday in this series when we're going to do baptisms. And so if that's you and you want to be baptized and you want to commit your life to Christ, say, I'm choosing to follow Jesus, and you want to be baptized, I want you to do that. And hit that solid, hard reset button And then that Sunday night, we're going to have like an acoustic worship opportunity at Falls Perk in Pendleton. And hey, what's better than coffee and Jesus and friends, right? And so that Sunday night, we're just going to worship acoustically in a coffee shop. And um, some of you, who knows, some of you might actually like lift your hands or dance if you get enough, um, if you get enough espresso in you, right? Maybe, maybe not, no? Okay, well, we've been hitting the reset button. And we've been looking at our hearts, the soil in our heart, right? And Jesus, remember, Jesus gave seven parables, and this was his first of the seven, and all of the parables have a partner, right? So you have two, two, and two, except for this parable has no partner with it. And this parable is all about examine your heart and listen up, because I'm about ready to tell you some other parables, and you're going to need to listen. And so he tells us to examine our heart with this particular parable. And the first two types of soil, he said the first soil is hard. The word of God falls on the ground, and then the birds come and get it, and the seed never takes root. The second type of soil, he says, is shallow. The seed falls into it. It starts to gain some roots, but the soil is rocky. And so the sun comes out, it heats up the rocks, and it causes the heat, causes the seed that's starting to grow to wither. And so these people never get it. And today, we land on thorny, weedy, thistly type grounds. Now, the first two, the hard and the rocky, well, those two soils, they... They are people, Jesus says, that really never understand the gospel. They'll go their whole lives and they'll never get it. They just just don't have room for it. And so these people can hear the message of Jesus Christ. It can even start to maybe grow in them a little bit and they get a little bit excited like the shallow soil people, but then they just kind of go on. And you never see them again. You never see them again in church. They don't ever read their Bible. They they get it and they just kind of go on. And Jesus says, you know, these first two types of people, they just, they just go on with their life. It's the third type. It's the type that we're going to talk about today that actually they know the gospel message. It's taken root in their heart. They don't follow it. And what you're going to find is that these are the most, not only are they the most annoying to somebody who really is committed to Jesus because they're on again, off again, on again, off again, but they're also the most miserable people because they know what's right and they're not doing it. And they allow everything else to come in and crowd it, right? So this is why these people with this type of soil who are committed to Jesus but don't ever, they just kind of in it and out of it, in it and out of it. It's difficult for them to grow spiritually. They rarely see the power of God truly work in their life. They rarely will ever see healing in their life. They will rarely ever experience the supernatural in their life because they allow everything else in their life to crowd 
the word of God. It's not that they don't believe Jesus is God. It's not that they haven't accepted God and been baptized and all of these things. It's simply that, well, I have a lot of other stuff going on, and so I just don't have time for that. Know anybody like that? Let me see your hands. Anybody know anybody? If you live in the United States, I promise you, you know somebody like that. Right? I believe in Jesus, and, and, and I've accepted Christ, and I've been baptized, but I just I got a lot of other stuff going on, and I just don't have time for that. These are the people that Jesus is talking about with the thorny thistle-type soil. right? And what he's saying is he's saying that the choking, it's choking out the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. And so they think they have to manufacture their faith. They think they have to manufacture Bible reading. They have to do it themselves rather than allowing the Holy Spirit to lead them in it. And so let's read in Mark chapter 4, verse 7. Mark chapter 4, verse 7, Jesus says, He says, Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. And then later in that chapter, the disciples come to him and say, okay, time out. What do, what do all these soils mean? And so he, he explains the parable to, to his 12 disciples. And he explains this particular type of soil in Mark 4, 18 and 19. And he says this, still others like seeds sown among thorns hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. He says, we accept Jesus, and then we want to go out and just live our life like we've always been doing. And he says simply, the thorns and the thistles of the world grow up, and they choke everything out of it. And I love what he says in verse 18 when he says, hear the word. We know that in this parable, the word is likened to the seed. The seed that the sower is sowing is the word of God. And he says, they hear, they hear the word, and then they allow all this other stuff to come in and just simply just choke it out of their life because they're too busy with everything else going on in their life. And the word here means to understand or perceive. It's different than just hearing. Right? There's hearing, but then there's understanding. And if any of you have ever had kids... And then they come in dirty from playing outside, and you say, go upstairs and take a, take a shower, or take a bath. Well, they hear you. But 10 minutes later, when you're, what are you doing in there? Because you hear the water running. The water's been running for 10 minutes. And so some of you that have babies and toddlers, you don't understand this yet. And the water's been running for 10 minutes. What in the world could you possibly, are you clean yet? No. Well, what are you doing? I'm, it feels really good. It's hot. And it's just a really long shower. You're costing me money. Get out of there. Like, my, my boys know that. Like, they're going to grow up, and that, that phrase is going to cringe on them every time. I'm like, shut the lights off. You're costing me money. Quit running the hot water. You're costing me money. Right? Everything costs money. Right? You've played Xbox for an hour and a half. You've just cost me extra money on the electrical bill. Turn it off. Everything costs money. That's what I tell you. Everything costs money. And they're... Anyway, that's a whole different story. The point is this. The point is that they hear me say, go take a shower. But they don't perceive what I'm really saying. What what they need to understand is say, when I say go take a shower, that doesn't mean stand in there for 10 minutes and let the hot water run over you. 
It means get the dirt off and get out. And so Jesus says that the people that hear the word of God and then allow everything else in life to get in the way of it, they hear it, you know, and they perceive it. They understand what they're supposed to do. They understand how their life's supposed to go, but I'm too busy. I've got other things to do, right? And Jesus says, these people, we're going to find out what he says about these type of of people, and I, I didn't come to step on toes. I just came to tell you the truth in love. I love you. I'm going to tell you the truth, right? Yes, yes, Tyson. You guys can. You guys with me today? All right. Now, don't. Somebody just said, "Bring it." The rest of you don't know what that means, but anyway. All right. Verse 19. He says, "The worries." Of this life, and I'm just gonna park on this one word for the rest of my sermon. He says, The worries of this life. The word worry is an interesting Greek word. It's a compound word, it's two separate Greek words brought together. It's actually in the Greek, it's merima, and it's two words it's miro and noose. Miro and noose. Noose is actually spelled N O O S without the E. Noose, N-O-O-S, okay? And miro means to divide, to take something and split it. You can split it in half, thirds, eighths, tenths, twentieths, I don't care. You can split it, right? You can split it. It means to be split. Noose means the mind. It literally means, the word worry here literally means to split the mind, to split your thoughts, to split the way you're thinking. You see, Jesus says that if you come to me, I'm going to renew your mind. Paul writes that in Romans. He says, I'm going to renew your mind, and I'm going to change the way you think. But the devil knows this. The devil knows that if he can't stop you from following Jesus, the next best thing is to split your mind so that you've got so much going on, you're completely ineffective for the kingdom of God. I can't stop you from having a relationship with Jesus, but I can stop you from being effective. And so I'm going to make your life so hectic and so crazy that you don't have time to spend with Jesus. You don't have time to pray. You don't have time to bask in the power and grow in faith so that you're effective for the kingdom of God. And so Jesus literally says that there will be people who believe in me, but they allow their life to get so distracted and so inundated and so busy that they literally become divided in their thinking so that I'm just one of many gods in their life. You know, we went, when I went to Haiti and went down there and to share Jesus, it was very interesting because when you share Jesus, Jesus came to save you and you tell him the gospel message. And here's what happens because 90% of the country is voodoo. When you go down there, they say, okay, because in voodoo there's multiple gods they say, okay, great, Jesus is awesome. I'll put him in my pocket with my other gods. And if I ever need to be saved, I'll pull him out. And that's exactly what we do in the United States. Church is good, Jesus is okay, but I've got all of this other stuff, and so when I need Jesus, I'll go get him. Do you want to know what the number one sign of somebody who has weak faith, the number one sign of somebody who has weak faith when life starts to go to hell in a handbasket, they show up to church. People with strong faith, 
are in church and praying and reading their Bible on a regular basis. Those are people who are spiritually strong. People who are spiritually weak just show up to church because they have nothing else going on that Sunday, and so they decide to show up. That's spiritually weak. And that's what we do in the United States. Now, we, you may not practice voodoo or believe in voodoo, but you put Jesus in your pocket and say, when I got time for him, I'll pull him out and I'll, and I'll go. And this is what Jesus is talking about. He said, there's people that will begin to follow me and they'll start to take root and they'll start to grow, but then life, they will begin to allow life to happen and slowly begin to choke out. You cannot listen to God's word with a divided heart. You can't. You cannot listen to God's word with a divided with a divided heart. Have you ever, have you ever getting ready to go in? This, is, this has happened to me a, a lot in my lifetime. I'm going into a meeting and about, I don't know, 20 minutes before the meeting, I always, I always try to stop everything about 20 minutes before a meeting and I try to get, really get focused on the meeting um, and especially 10 minutes before the meeting I arrive and I try to you know, be ready to go and, and what have you. But you get a call about a half hour before a meeting, and it's like bad news, and you're totally disengaged from the meeting. You ever have that happen? And you're just totally split-minded during the whole meeting, and you're like, man, I know they're saying something important, but right now all I can think about is this, right? You have a divided mind and a, and a divided thought. And so then you can't be focused on what really matters in the meeting. Division destroys focus, and destroyed focus leaves you directionless. Didn't even know that was a word, did you? It is now. When focus is destroyed, you have no direction. Prime example, every Sunday morning before church, I go on a prayer drive. And usually what I do is I circle the circumference of the town of Lapel. Now, since it's been annexed a year or so ago, I don't drive the full circumference anymore. But... I drive the circumference of lapel, and I pray for lapel, and I pray for you guys every Sunday morning. I go on a prayer drive, and I just drive and pray for lapel and pray for you. And this morning as I'm driving, one of my favorite birds that we have here locally, one of my favorite birds is the red-winged blackbird. And I think it's because it's all black, and all of a sudden, poof, there's like two patches of red. And when they start moving their wings, it's like, right, you see all this red, and then, Whatever. So I'm driving, and I haven't seen one this year. And this morning, I'm driving along, and I look up in a tree, and I'm like, what is that? I, I think it's a robin or something, and I'm not sure. And I see the two spots on the red wings. And I'm like, and the way it's angled and everything, I'm like, that bird's caught in the tree. That poor bird, i got to get it out. So I start to pull my car over to get this poor bird out of the tree. <laughs> I totally, I, I stopped praying. I about run my car off the road into the ditch next to the field. I, I lost all direction because I got distracted. And I almost wasn't here because of a stupid bird in a tree. It doesn't take much for us to lose our focus, does it? Not much at all. Why isn't your pastor? I know, he tried to save a bird that really wasn't caught at all. It was just a red-winged blackbird. You know, I mean, can you imagine that going down? Pastor doesn't show up to church because he tried to rescue a robin from its natural habitat. That would be totally something that would, like, be in the news. I got distracted. And if you know me, I'm not, like, all oh, save the animal kind of guy. I'm just, I, I'm not, but something came over me this morning. Oh, poor little bird. It's got the tree. I got to go save it. It's red wings. I, somebody, I, it looked like, you know, those, um, Plastic strips, those black um, zip ties. You know the black zip tie? It looked like somebody had taken two red zip ties and zip tied it to the branch. And I was like, 
That's what popped in my mind. Somebody zip-tied that bird to the branch in the middle of a field, right? Like, that's totally logical. Why wouldn't that happen? And I'm like, I got to save that thing. It's going to die, right? Because there's going to be a hawk that comes around. And I just watched a hawk swoop in my backyard the other day and pick a mouse up. And I'm like, yes. I didn't tell you, Lynn, so we have one less mouse in our backyard now, right? So easily distracted in our culture, And Jesus says, these are the people, these are the people that will never fully come to recognize the power of God in their life or see the power of God in their life. The scary thing is is that they have roots. They believe, but they have no ability to grow because they allow everything else to snuff it out. And because of a division in their life with so much stuff going on, the relationship with God is just choked out. Nearly doesn't exist. It's interesting because when Jesus came, Jesus came to bring a new kingdom. Now, we often think about that. We think, oh, yeah, yeah, the kingdom of God, right? But I don't think we get it. I really don't. You see, when you read Genesis, it says that God came down and walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. I mean, God literally in physical form walks with Adam and Eve on the earth. He's walking with them, hanging out with them, having conversations, shooting the breeze. And then you get to Revelation at the other side of the Bible, and it says that heaven, in the end, when God is fully done that heaven and earth come together. Jesus said that I came to bring a kingdom. Now let that sink in for a minute because he wasn't talking about just a spiritual kingdom. He's talking about a literal, physical kingdom. We think it's spiritual. It's not spiritual by any stretch of the imagination. Let me explain. Jesus comes, and in those days, when a ruler would conquer a major city, the ruler would get on horseback, and the people, to recognize their ruler, would do something in their culture that would say, we're bowing before you, you are our king, we yield our entire city and our country and our life to you. Well, if you're Jewish, that's palm branches. What happens when somebody says, I'm coming to set up a new kingdom, gets on the back of a donkey, and rides into the biggest city in the Middle East? You don't think Caesar notices that? You don't think that reaches the emperor's ears? That's a direct, that is a uh, direct statement to Rome. There is a new kingdom coming, and you will be uprooted and removed. But you see, the kingdom of God is different than any other kingdom. Every other kingdom, whether it's, uh, whether it's a democracy, which is simply controlling the masses and trying to get the masses of people to think one way or the other, whether it is communism or socialism, whether you're Napoleon or Alexander the Great or Queen Elizabeth, every kingdom is forced from the outside in, from the outside in. 
Jesus comes and says, I'm setting up a kingdom, and my goal is to pull heaven and earth back into alignment the way I originally designed it. This is literally what he's doing through us. It's pulling heaven and earth back into alignment until one day, the Bible says the veil between our physical world and the spiritual world, the Bible says there's a veil right now. It's in uh, 1 Corinthians. Paul says we see through the veil dimly what will be. The Bible says that one day the veil is going to be ripped off and you will be able to see the physical world and the spiritual world working together. And Jesus says, I am coming to pull it back in alignment. But because it was mankind that ripped it off and said, we'll do this ourselves," it had to be a man that could pull both kingdoms back together. And the Bible says that one day the veil between the spiritual world and the physical world will be removed and you will be able to see both physical and spiritual with your naked eye. And so Jesus comes and says, I'm coming to install a kingdom. But Jesus' kingdom is different. It's not forced from the outside in like all of man's kingdoms. It's like a seed, Jesus says. My kingdom's like a seed. And I plant it on the inside. And it begins to grow. And it begins to change people. So that when I come to set up my kingdom... People already understand my rules. People already understand my laws. And I don't have to force anything on them that it's natural and it's naturally a part of them. So that one day, when he comes to set up his rule and reign as king, which will happen, and he will rule from Jerusalem, all of us that are following him, it's already, his rules, the laws of the kingdom are already written on our hearts. That's what David, that's what King David said, right Write your rules on my heart that I might not sin against you. Now, I know I just dropped a big theological bomb there, but think about it. So David says in Psalm 8611, he says, Teach me your way, Lord, so that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Teach me your way. Teach. I got any teachers in the house? Yes. Right? I live with one. Teach. When you teach, do you teach? Do you teach what comes natural? For the most part, no. Do you teach and expect them to get it the first time? No. So David says, teach me your ways. Do you know what that means? God, your ways aren't natural to me. God, your ways don't always make sense to me. God, your ways are are a little different, right? It's not intuitive. It's not known. In fact, the Hebrew word for teach is also the same word meaning to throw. To throw. Now, we have a saying in our world In our culture, thrown to the wolves. The best way to learn is just get thrown to the wolves. That's a Hebrew, that's a Jewish idea. I'm going to throw you into a pack of wolves and you're going to learn to survive. I'm going to teach it to you. I'm going to throw it at you and you're going to receive it and you're going to begin to process it. You have to teach people. Look, my boys come home with homework and I'm like, what? Math. English, are we ever going to stop diagramming sentences? Like, is that necessary? I've never had to do that on a job interview, ever. Could you diagram this, please? 
got the wrong applicant. I'll, I'll go ahead and apply for something else. Right? I mean, I'm out. Look at this. Moses had to teach the Ten Commandments to the Israelites in Exodus 4.12. Moses has to go out. You can just write that down look it up later. Moses had to teach the Ten Commandments. Why? Because do not murder, do not lust, do not steal. Keep God number one in your life. Doesn't come natural for us. To be totally transparent, I've killed people in my mind. Right? Like, how dare you? It's not natural. We have to be taught. Exodus 4.12, Moses had to teach them, stop it, stop lying. Keep God first. I have to teach you how to keep God first because our natural bent is back over here. Job chapter 6, verse 24. Job, the man who went to hell and back, like lost multi-millionaire, if not nearly a billionaire, loses it all, Right? Loses his kids. Gets deathly sick. And in Job 6.24, Job asks God, he says, God, teach me to hold my tongue. Like, teach me to just keep quiet. We have to be taught to keep quiet. The problem with social media is we just get to say whatever we want. We're all brave when nobody knows who we are. Right? 1 Kings 8.36, David asked God to teach the nation of Israel how to conduct themselves. David, as king, says, God, as a country, we need help learning how to conduct ourselves. Does that sound familiar? As a country, we need help teach us how to conduct ourselves as a nation and as a group of people. Because we're getting out of control at 1 Kings 8.36. Teaching takes time. Why do you think you're in school for 12 years? Right? School for 12 years. I remember the first day that our, our oldest son started kindergarten. I told my buddy Michael, I said, his 9 to 5 just started. He don't even know it. Like, ha, sucker. Your 9 to 5 just started in kindergarten. You have no idea that for the rest of your life, it's 9 to 5, every Monday through Friday at least. Right? It takes time, 12 years in school. And if you want to get really good at something you got another 8 to 10 years to get your doctorate. You've got almost the entire 12 years to go again, to get really good, to be taught. Teaching takes time. God's ways take time. God's methods and God's understanding of God takes time. Here's the other thing. Teaching takes repetition. Over and over and over and over when I played basketball, my free throw percentage was like 83, 84%. Do you know how many free throws I shot to be able to hit at 83%? A lot. A lot. Repetition, 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 repetition. All right, you ready? Say it with me. Repetition. 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 And you know what? If, you're have a divide, if you have a divided mind, can you keep repeating? No, because you're going to go do that, and then you come back over to that. Oh, yeah, and I'll get back here to the middle. And I'm going to do that, and then I'll come back. And I'll do that, and then I'll come back. No, you've got to be focused to have repetition. It's not instinctive to follow God. And here's what happens 
we commit our life to Christ. We want to be, I know I have to be baptized. I don't know why, but I'm supposed to be baptized. And so I'm going to get baptized. And I get baptized, and, and I, you know, I learn why. And I start, to, I start to follow Jesus, but I get a divided mind, and I live my life spiritually ignorant because as a child of God, my father is king of the universe, and he set stuff up for me that, I, that should be going on in my life, but I never aspire to it, one, because either I don't know it's there or I don't know what he has for me because I'm too divided in my life. And so we live our lives selling ourselves short of God's best for us because we're too divided. Do you know... Do you know a rose bush? I, I just learned this this week. Do you know a rose bush is self-destructive? Rose bushes are suicidal. Like somebody signed them up for therapy because they need help. Seriously. Rose bushes, no joke. Rose, here's what happens with rose bushes. As they begin to grow, they start producing buds. And they, a rose bush will produce buds quicker than they can sustain, than they can sustain them. Roses have to be trimmed or they will kill themselves from constantly trying to blossom all the time. They will produce more buds than they can sustain. Now think about you and me. How many times do we start stuff and we let it sit and we can't get to it and then we go and start something else and we can't get to it and then we do this and we do that and do that. Oh, it's so pretty. It smells so nice. It looks lovely. I want that and I want this and I want that and I want... And we're slowly committing spiritual suicide because we cannot sustain what we've started. And Jesus says, these people, you ready? Here's what Jesus says. These people will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Ouch. That's going to be a rude awakening on your deathbed, isn't it? He says, these people I just stole my thunder for like two, two minutes from now. Anyway, that's not the point. The point is, is this. The point is you have to prune a rose bush and you have to have in your mind what you want it to look like and the way you want it to grow up and you have to prune it to get it to be the way you want it to be. Listen to John 15 too. This is what Jesus says about this. He says, uh, he says, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Jesus says, the branches that are in me that aren't producing fruit, my heavenly father will cut them off from the plant. He will cut them off. He says, but those that follow me, that have a single mind and follow me, he says, Get ready because the pruning's coming. You're producing fruit. How do you get a rose bush to produce more buds? You prune it. How do you get an apple tree to produce more apples? You prune it. Henry Cloud, in his book, Necessary Endings, he says pruning is strategic. It's directional and forward thinking. If you love something, you prune it. If you want it to produce more, you prune it. And so some of you might be going through a spiritual pruning process during this reset series. God might be cutting some stuff out of your life. Guess what? Here's what I'm finding. It is, it is in life better to get better than to be busy. But too many of us are so busy we never get better. 
You cannot be busy and get better. You can't. It is better to be better and get better than to stay busy. Pruning is focused momentary pain for greater growth. Focused momentary pain for greater growth. And Jesus says, if you're in my kingdom and you're producing fruit, I'm going to allow. I'm going to prune you, and it's going to hurt a little bit. But in the end, you're going to produce more fruit for my kingdom so that when I come back, you've made a bigger impact. But those of you that are connected to me that aren't producing fruit, I'm cutting you out. I don't got time for that. People who understand what it takes to get better cut stuff out of their life. I got to get better at this, so I, can't, I don't have time for that. Here's, here's what happens, though. We get confused because we think if I'm getting hurt, then I'm being harmed. Being hurt and being harmed are two different things. They're two different words. Pruning hurts. Hurt is a starting point for growth. If you get hurt, it's a starting point to grow. Harm is damaging. Hurting is not damaging. Harming is damaging. Now, if I go dump poison on a rose bush, I'm harming it. But if I cut it and prune it, I'm hurting it for future growth. C.S. Lewis said this. He says, he says, if a mom is sitting there and her child comes to her and the child has a splinter, the child's in pain. But the mom, like God, knows it is better to endure the pain of pulling the splinter out than to later face the pain of having to amputate the limb. One is harmful, one is hurtful. So my question to you today is, is what God is doing in your life, is it hurtful? Then you need to be excited. You need to have joy if God is pruning you and it hurts. Take joy because he's saying, you're producing and I need to get you to grow a little bit more. But if there's harm in your life and there's things in your life that are damaging, it might be time to cut it out and get rid of it and to prune your life. You see, most of the time, facing reality is not a damaging experience. Facing reality is sometimes hurtful, but it's not damaging, right? So focus might hurt, but it means you don't miss out. Focus means I'm going to have a little momentary pain while I cut this out of my life, right? If you were, how many of you, you know, if you saw Cam's Facebook thing, um, was it Thursday night? Thursday night, Cam, in his 21 days, right, as we do Facebook Live every Tuesday and Thursday night at 8.30, and our leaders get on and share what's going on in their life and how the 21 days of prayer and fasting is affecting them. Cam shared. He said, you know what? I gave up, he goes, I gave up chewing tobacco for 21 days. And he said, for the first two or three days, it hurt. I was grumpy at work. I was grumpy at home. I was upset. I was angry. He goes, but now I've realized I don't need it. I don't need it. God has removed it from him. And so I would suggest you get on the Rivers Facebook page for those of you that have Facebook and, and just watch it and watch him share his testimony of giving, giving up chewing tobacco. He's like, I pruned it out of my life. It's not necessary for me. 
Do you know bald eagles? Bald eagles mate for life. If you're single, listen up. I'm about ready to give you some dating advice. Bald eagles mate for life. Now, the female bald eagle, when she's choosing a mate for the rest of her life, here's what she does. She swoops down, and she picks up the lo- with her talons, she picks up the largest log she can carry that her wings, that her nine-foot wingspan will allow her to carry. She will swoop down, take it up. Now, she only does this when she knows other males are around. Here's what she does. She soars as high as she can with the heaviest log she can find. And when she's at her peak altitude, she drops the log. And she just sits back and she watches. She just circles and watches the log fall. While all the other male eagles with their ego try to swoop up and take the log. They try to swoop in, grab it, and take it back to her in the air. Here's what she knows. Because more bald eagles will die this way than any other way. To try to impress her, they will hold on to that log until they plummet to their death. And she goes, well, that ain't the one. It's true. It's true. Why? Because she's focused. She knows what she wants. She's like, he ain't the one. He, he doesn't meet my standards, so I'm out. Right? I'll be back tomorrow with a different log. And she just swoop down, pick it up, boom, until the one male that can soar to her level and carry that log to her, she's like, yes. And then you know what they do? They mate, free-falling. And they lock together, and they mate in the air. They mate in the air as they are free-falling. And right before they hit the ground, they separate, spread their wings, and take off and go begin to build a nest. Focus. I know what I want. And if something else has to die in the process, then it has to die because I know where my standards are at. I know what I want in life. And, oh, he treats me good. Honey, that ain't going to get you through. He treats me good is not good enough to get married to. She's so nice to me. Oh, that doesn't count. That's only a part of the equation. Jesus says, you can't have a divided mind and follow me. It's either me and nothing or it's everything and not me. You take your pick. But here's what I promise you, that in Jesus, you will find everything that you ever needed. You just keep him number one. Right? He will help you with your dating standards. He will help you with your work. He will help you with everything else. And I want to know, do I have any eagles in here that are ready to soar? That are ready to say, you know what? I'm going to swoop down. I'm going to pick up my log. And if you can't carry the log with me, I don't need you in my life. I'm moving on. You got to be ready to soar. And you can't soar with people who can't handle your weight. I don't mean physical weight. I mean people that can't handle the burdens that you deal with and the struggles that you struggle with. If they can't carry that with you, get them out of your life. Jesus says you need to be focused. You don't need to be like people that get so busy with everything else in life. Oh, my kid's got softball. It starts at seven o'clock at night and it won't be over until nine in the morning, but we're going to stay up all night Saturday night playing softball with my kid. And I traveled and I've spent a thousand dollars for this softball. Are you kidding me? For real? 
I tell you what, somebody who's focused with their money and focused in real life isn't going to do that. They're not going to run all over doing stuff that doesn't pertain to godliness and focusing on keeping Jesus first. They're not going to do that stuff. And Jesus says, these people have divided mind and my father will cut them out of the kingdom because they're not producing fruit for the kingdom. I believe I've got some eagles in here that want to soar and have some standards and want to stay single focused. Amen? Let's stand up. Let's stand up. If we're going to soar, we have to be focused on Christ. And I think more than anything, with this reset series, with this reset series, it's giving us the opportunity to say, time out, what's important? What's important? Because if Jesus is first, everything else will fall in line. If Jesus isn't first, you've got to keep trying to reshuffle everything. What's important? What's important? What's important? You keep Jesus first, he'll keep everything else in order. Are you ready to soar? I just want to invite you this week to soar, to set that standard and to go with it. As we close this morning, if you're here and, and maybe, maybe you've not really fully committed your life to Jesus, I want to invite you to come up and say, Jesus, I want you in my life 100%. I'm tired of the weeds and the thistles growing up in my life. I need to stay focused on you. If that's you, I want to invite Lynn and Jesse to come over here and Steve and Bonnie, if you will come over here. And I just want to invite you to come up to one of these people and just, they want to pray with you. Maybe you're here this morning, you just have lost focus. Maybe life has just gotten so busy that you've lost focus. That you're not like the female ego going, I got standards and that doesn't count. I need to let that die. Whatever it is in your life, as we sing out this song for the last time, I want you to come forward. They want to pray with you. We're going to believe God with you. Now he will work in your life so that you can stay focused.